sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Probably the most pervasive religious freedom issue that we're getting these days are religious objections to the increasing number of vaccine mandates. And those who work in the religious freedom arena are getting swamped with calls for help, with questions from those who have objections to the vaccine. I've asked my friend and colleague, Professor Nicholas Miller, attorney, church history professor at Andrews University, director of the Andrews University International Religious Liberty Institute, to be my guest today to talk about uh, some of the legal issues and ramifications of those who are skeptics and hesitant with respect to the vaccine. Nick, thanks for being with us today. Nice to be with you, Alan. The first place I want to start is, um, isn't it true that there is not a single religious denomination that has uh, publicly objected to the vaccine, including the Roman Catholic Church? Yeah, that not that I can find. You know, it's hard to answer a negative, are there any? But there are none that I can find. And the obvious suspects would be, like the Catholic Church might object to some sort of fetal tissue involvement, but the main vaccines don't contain any of that. Um, the other kind of suspects would be um, Christian scientists or Jehovah's Witnesses, but I've looked into both groups and none of them have any official or formal opposition to the vaccine though some members of those groups will raise individual conscience claims. And then, of course, there's a lot of other just conservative Christians, maybe parts of churches that don't officially have these teachings, but they will assert that themselves, and certainly there are Adventists that fall into that category. So, first of all, what about the sort of legal status of vaccine mandates in the first place? Can you clarify for our listeners, are the mandates a solid legal footing? And why is it that the state or an employer can compel us to put a needle in our arm? So, yeah, that's a great question. There is quite a history on this. The Supreme Court, more than 100 years ago, upheld the right of the state to require vaccinations for infectious diseases. Uh, case in 1905. Um, Jacobson versus Massachusetts. And we should be clear, though, the Supreme Court ruled that the state could require it, but they didn't rule that the state could actually physically hold you down and inject you. <laughs> what they did was they upheld then restrictions or penalties. In that case, the uh, person who refused the vaccine, Mr. Jacobson, was required to pay a $5 fine. Um, Cases since then have addressed issues. There was a case about 20 years later in 1922, Zook versus King, that looked at the issue of um, schools requiring vaccines for students. And these cases are pretty old. I mean, more than 100 years ago, but the court has frequently reaffirmed them in discussing other issues. They give those cases as examples of the state's 
sort of assumed police power to keep everyone safe. Now, I think the Jacobson case probably is a bit varied since World War II, with all the experimentation that took place in places like Germany on citizens, the notion of informed consent has become part of medical law, and I would say constitutional law, that you can't inflict medical treatments on people or require it of adults anyway, consenting adults without their agreement. So the court would not uphold a general vaccine mandate for everyone, but by the same token, it's clear it will uphold vaccine requirements by employers, by airlines, by you know public accommodations, um, if the only penalty is you can't go to those places, or you might not be able to work, the legal framework is basically in the middle of a pandemic, that is something that will be upheld, though your next question might be, are exemptions allowed from that? Sure. So, you know, I think you mentioned the situation with school children. I know that California eliminated any kind of religious or conscience objection several years ago. And I'm not aware of any cases that have tried to challenge that uh, either here or in other states that never had a religious objection. So I'm not sure the extent to which, you know, the objections really would be well-founded. But um, mostly what I'm hearing and seeing from either governments like California or from the employment sector is that those mandates do have to accommodate folks with legitimate medical or religious accommodation requests. And yet, in a conversation I had just earlier today, someone who attended a show on Broadway said, if you didn't have your vaccine proof, you weren't getting in, regardless of you could have a legitimate medical need, but they weren't going to let you in. So there's the public accommodations aspect of it also. But let's start with at least, you know, the concept of employment, because that's where a lot of the calls for help are coming from. Um, employee says, you know, I'm going to lose my job if I don't get vaccinated, but I just don't believe in it. Um, where do they stand? Well, so this is an area you and I are really familiar with, because before, even before the pandemic, we dealt with it in helping get Sabbath accommodations. So you know, you know the basic standard. It's not that if you raise a con a religious request that it's automatically accommodated. Rather, there's a question of whether there will be an undue hardship on the employer in providing that accommodation. And if they can make an accommodation without undue hardship, then they have a legal responsibility to do so. So that's basically the same standard in this area of vaccine accommodation. Uh, the question becomes, well, is there some way that your job can be um, organized uh, so that your threat to passing on the infection is prevented in ways other than getting the vaccine? So if you telecommute, if you can work from home, that's an obvious way that it could be accommodated. If you can't telecommute, the question may arise about how closely you interact with the public, with other coworkers. And the usual accommodation that's offered is you will wear masks at all times when you're coming into contact with other people. You will do your best to keep socially distanced and you will take, say, weekly virus tests to see if you have it. 
And many, I think many positions can be accommodated in that way. But you and I have also talked about certain more sensitive positions like frontline healthcare workers, nurses and doctors and nurses aides, people frequently coming into contact with parts of the population that are sick, weakened, compromised immune systems would be even more susceptible to a serious illness from the disease. And honestly, I think in those cases, accommodation is probably going to fall on the side of the employer, that it will be an undue hardship to accommodate, and probably you won't have a right to get an exemption in those instances. But it's somewhat obviously factually specific. Well, you know, the first thing when it comes to a religious claim, you know, I've spoken to people who clearly have non-religious reasons why they don't want the vaccine. And yet they're looking for ways to assert a claim for a religious accommodation. The very first thing that anyone has to demonstrate in order to warrant a religious accommodation is that they actually have a um, a bona fide religious objection to the vaccine. Do you think that's going to be a problem for some folks who are you know, claiming that it's religious, but it's not really religious. Yeah, uh, I do think that, you know, as you and I discussed before, people don't always know how to articulate their philosophical, religious, ideological convictions and know how to distinguish one from the other. Like, what's the difference between conscience and religious belief? And the Supreme Court, there's some sympathies in the Supreme Court. You're familiar with the line of decisions involving conscientious objection, right? Steger and, and some of these other cases where the military service case, the Supreme Court actually said both religious objections and then conscientious objections that are deeply held, that are similar to religious objections, will also be considered. Now, the court has actually not developed that line of thought much further. It kind of left it standing alone. And I think philosophically, it is somewhat difficult. If you go back to Madison and the First Amendment, his argument for religious exemptions was that as a person with a religious conscience, you stand under a superior power who obliges you to a course of conduct that is inconsistent with the one asked for by the state. Whereas the secular conscience is really just your personally very strongly held opinion and not something that you are obligated to do from an external source. Though some might argue that their internal constitution obligates them and it's the same kind of thing. So, you know, what I'm getting at is that this whole subject has become very politicized. And it's also fraught with a great deal of misinformation. You know, I just saw a release from an otherwise reputable Christian organization today uh, touting some lawyer saying 45,000 people have died of the vaccine. Well, that's just completely false. Nonsense. And irresponsible for a Christian organization to be putting this sort of false information out. Uh, so many of us have become what has come to be known as YouTube scholars. <laughs> you know, there's a Yiddish term called maven, self-appointed experts, right. you know, where somehow we know better. We don't trust establishment medicine. We don't even trust lifestyle medicine, uh, folks who have alternative approaches to healing. And we don't trust the data. So we think we know better ourselves. And it's very politicized. 
And um, I just think that there's a lot of objections that are based on either misinformation or generalized skepticism that have very little, if anything, to do with religion. But, you know, when people are looking for an out, you know, they're either going to file for a medical or religious accommodation. Yeah, I think that what we're facing is a perversion of Martin Luther's priesthood of all believers and the right of private conscience. And what that's turned into is rather than a priesthood of believers, where we have a community uh, that is functioning together and relying on expertise generated by those in the community with that we've put through training and experience, we've taken that and turned it into a priesthood of all popes, where each of us is our own personal expert in whatever field we've watched a YouTube video in. And in a sense, we're undermining the ability of a community to function democratically and in a representative way when we go chasing all these self-appointed experts rather than listening to experts in our church who have degrees and experience in the areas or even in the government uh, who have lots of training and experience in these areas. And we choose some outliers with odd degrees or strange sorts of experience and exalt them. Uh, it's a perversion of what um, expert information is about. And it's also, frankly, a perversion of claims of liberty of conscience. Luther said, liberty of conscience has to do with our transcendent duties to God, but the government has an over our temporal questions of peace and safety. And vaccines aren't about worship. They're about keeping myself and my neighbor safe and free from a very temporal pestilence. And let's not bring shame on the idea of liberty of conscience and religious freedom by using that category for arguments that was never meant to be used for. Well said, and those are going to have to be our closing words. We've been talking about vaccine mandates with Professor Nicholas Miller. Thank you, as always, for being with us, Nick. Sure. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Rynock. Until next week, let freedom ring. <laughs>